World Cup racing is coming thick and fast, and this weekend we're heading to a brand new track in Ludenvier, France. So here's your Maxis Tires pre-race show with Chris Kilmurray. Maxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. It's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxis has the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. On my enduro bike, I'm running the DHR2 Max Terra double down on the rear, paired up with an Asagai Max Grip up front in the slightly lighter XO Plus casing. On the downhill bike, I've got a DHR2 front and rear, both with the DH casing and with their super grippy max grip compound both of those setups are working awesome for me you can check out the entire range of maxis tires over at maxis.com and find the tires at your local maxis dealer you can also give them a follow on instagram where they're at maxis bike all right it's new venue time and we're in Ludenvier, france we'll be talking about this brand new track which sounds like it should provide a real challenge for the riders hear chris's thoughts on the venue the track who's going to be pushing hard for that win and much much more so without further ado i'm joined by chris kilmurray for your max's tires pre-race show for the 2023 Ludenvier world cup All right, Chris Kilmurray, welcome back after a pretty chaotic weekend in Valnord. I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on that, actually. Like, there was a lot of uh, touring and throwing on schedule, lots of ups and downs over the weekend. Do you think um, Do you think it kind of played out in the right way in the end? Do you think it was handled well? Yeah, I think it's impossible to predict exactly what the mountain weather is going to do. Um the bottom line was for race day, the bottom line was that the helicopter couldn't fly for evacuations. So once once the wind speed goes above, I don't know, 65 kilometers an hour, 70 kilometers an hour, the helicopter can't evacuate. And that's it. That's race off. Simple as that. So yeah. I think even the wind speeds for the final three or four riders or even the final 10 riders, because Finn had some ridiculous wind at the top, according to Finn and Ronan, who were in the Starkate kind of together. Ronan was of the impression that Finn was going to die, not make it to the finish line. The wind was that bad. So I think we were we were borderline for the last few guys, even if the race was going to be cancelled at that stage, you know. So I think the, they made the decisions they made. I think obviously new organisers, um, new promoters for the series, and all of a sudden we have the first ever potential cancellation in, you know, seven or eight years since Fort William 2015 or whatever. So <clears throat> people are kind of going to hum and haw and you know, get, um, what's the word, get a little bit pissy for want of a better word about the whole situation. But I think, yeah, considering just how south things go in that part of the world, like we saw with the massive storm and rainstorm that came in just after junior practice day, after on track walk day, uh, that we had like 20 mil of rain in an hour type thing. Like the pits just basically turned into a swimming pool. So I think just how quick the weather comes in and just how exposed that hill is, um, probably the right decisions, give or take, were made. Yeah, it's a shame the original... Because we like we got out of bed at you know five a.m. for seven thirty practice type thing, so it's a shame that that original schedule, the seven thirty a.m. practice, through to you know kind of early afternoon, late morning racing. It's a shame that one didn't get pulled off because we would have had relatively fair racing. But I wa- I hiked up at about midday just before lunch. I hiked up the hill just to see the track for myself after the morning rain on race day and the track was pristine it was perfect for racing but once you got kind of above the famous road gap uh, the wind was just horrific so too much wind no evacuations and even just the exposure and the danger of lightning and everything else for camera crew and marshals and stuff you know so we got a race in the end just a shame the last kind of 
10 guys, especially the last five, got such bad weather, you know, because it would have been some pretty insane racing. And I think by my by my calculations, Tebow won it with a 2.46.5 was Tebow's winning time. And I think the winning time was probably going to be a high 43, a low 44. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Fair. Was the For the riders, was the win like reasonable once you dropped over the crest of the mountain? Because you kind of come out the start gate and it turns left over that like little step down. Are you then into the sort of a bit more shelter from where the wind was coming from? Or were they dealing with that? Because it looked horrific at the start. Yeah, the start was obviously the most horrific because that is literally exposed. The start line is, you know, half a meter from the Spanish border uh, on a, a very exposed peak. And the backside is a pretty steep slope down into Spain. Um, yeah, you definitely, there was a couple of sections that were sheltered just by the shape of the terrain. So the wind wasn't as bad. Uh, but by and large, the entire top just had these huge gusts, even through, like we saw Camille Ballanche in practice in qualifying when she had that huge crash. The gusts were a big issue. And whatever way the mountains work, whatever way the shape of the hill works, the gusts were just kind of super unpredictable. And early on in, in elite men's racing, uh, for women's racing, especially on, on finals day, and then early on in elite men's racing, the wind was kind of constant, high wind speeds, but constant in a single direction, which make, makes, you know, a lot more predictable and a lot easier to deal with. Whereas as we got closer to the end of the elite men's field, things got stormy again and the wind just kind of twists and turns in every direction. So... Pretty much, give or take a few a few calls, the majority of the calls that were made were the right ones on the day, I think. Yeah, and will that like strange race day, early start, all of that kind of stuff, will that have put additional fatigue into the riders? It was a, a pretty long day for everyone, I think. Like, are they carrying a bit more fatigue than they normally would coming out of a race weekend? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, the day itself, you're, you're just so, you're so hyped up to go racing and the body's natural response to you know the the, the threat of going racing and the, and the normal stress response to that getting yourself well not being able to eat you know feeling like you need to go to the toilet the kind of standard responses that some people will have and then just generally being excited or nervous to go racing and excitement and nervousness are kind of on a continuum so i think that's the day itself i don't think the schedule changes had a huge impact other than some racers mentioned that when we got the initial postponement at like 8.15 in the morning when we were supposed to start warming up to go racing, um, some of the racers, even Valley Hull mentioned it, she said she kind of thought, oh, it's, it's going to be cancelled. It's, it's dragging on too long. It's going to be cancelled. So she kind of got herself out of the race mindset. But I think, you know, that side of things was an issue uh, fatigue-wise, not really. I think maybe a slight more impact the next day. You know, you might be a bit more fatigued than usual on the Sunday. But then again, we didn't have semifinals, so... Yeah, true. Missed that session. But we are back to back three race weeks in a row now. Does that mean riders are laying off the after parties a little bit? Like I think I heard Thibaut de Prella saying he, the podium champagne was the only alcohol he was touching. Yeah, that's Thibaut's decision. I saw some serious shapes being thrown in Andorra at the world famous Comensal spot. Max Comensal is uh, funding race teams by a single after party each year, it looks like, because there was just. <laughs> <laughs> there was absolute carnage. I've never seen. I kind of pushed my way to the dance floor in that place and I, would, I increased the average age by about 300%. So I turned around and left, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I made the right decision not to be there. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now I was busy after party. I think that's because we have so many down days here in, in Ludenville. You know, we've got like four or five days before practice starts for some of the riders. So that's why I think there'll be no after party here because the turnaround to Leger is so tight, you know. 
Yeah, true. So we're into Sunday race this time. So there is that extra day in the schedule this week to give us a bit of space, I guess. And um, we're in Ludenvier, which isn't too far uh, from the last round, right? Like four hours or so. So it's quite a nice trip across. Yeah, as the crow flies, it's pretty close. I think the uh, the logistical challenges of getting your vehicles up and down massive mountains in this part of the Pyrenees um, definitely reared its head but it was a picturesque drive going through Spain and through the Pyrenees we definitely saw the majority of the Pyrenees driving from Andorra to Ludonviel so it's cool huh? beautiful place like stunning scenery literally stunning so big contrast to the Alps and even a big contrast to Andorra so it's cool yeah how's the setup there so we I mean there's been a lot of negativity online throughout the season I guess but a lot of people saying oh there's no way there's going to be enough space for all the pits all this kind of stuff because we've got enduro there as well this week like how is the setup uh in the resort the setup is pretty sensational really I can't I can't fault it I think um I'll, we'll, we'll see it all complete today with all the enduro teams and downhill teams with all tents and big rigs and everything else set up and ready to go uh sun is currently shining it looks like we're going to have a relatively cool but sunny day and we've basically just got a small river that feeds into this big lake in the town, which is extremely picturesque. And the teams are basically either side of the river. Um, and the downhill accommodation, there's lots of accommodation close to the finish line. The finish line is literally across the road. The DH finish line is across the road from uh, the the big paddock area. And it's just big grassy flat fields. So considerably better than last week in Andorra. And honestly... Yeah, I think it's, you know, the majority of the enduro setups are pretty small in terms of pit size. There's a lot of like almost semi-privateer kind of setups. So it's it's not a big issue. And this is definitely so far in terms of uh, services and proximity to finish line and proximity to facilities. And the views were, were in for a treat this week, it looks like, you know. Excellent. Good to hear it. And what do we know about the track? So we've had... Um a track designed, I think, by Roman Paulin, certainly assisted by Roman Paulin, um, and a, a test event that took place there recently. Uh, yeah, what's the what's the insight on the track? It's long. <laughs> That's the definite insight. <laughs> it's a big old hill. It starts off kind of relatively flat and then um, pretty swiftly starts to uh, point its way down. So it's probably, I think, average grading. It's not going to be um, super, super steep, but... Um, the steeper sections are probably some of the steepest we've raced in a long, long time. Uh, so the top is flat, open, grassy. Um, the local organisers want to run it from um, the airfield. There's an airstrip up there used in, in a Pierce Brosnan and James Bond movie back in the 90s or early 2000s. I can't remember the name of the James Bond movie, but it's someone will find it out there. It was used as a, a secret Russian um, air airstrip or something in the movie, and it's actually here in, in the Pyrenees in the south of France. Um, so the, the organisers wanted it up there to get the, the clear view of the valley and the, the picturesque, you know, snow-capped Pyrenees and all the rest. Um, I think World Cup organisers would have preferred it being a touch shorter just to make television logistics easier. And the riders may may agree in this circumstance with, with the, the the World Cup organisers because it's just a, a lot of length for maybe not a whole pile of gain. But is what it is. It's the longest, or the, the biggest elevation drop of the season, 540 metres of elevation drop. So it's a big one. So I think, yeah, they've apparently since the test event, they've chopped off uh, a couple of sections, straightened things out a little bit. And we've got a pretty um, curious looking finish section here with a, a cheese wedge, wooden jump on an off camber hill. So I think there'll be uh, a bit of discussion in the riders group and the, the course safety group. Um, we'll see how things go after track walk on Thursday. But all in all, from what I understand, uh, Romain Paulin, as you said, is you know chief course designer and Romain's probably one of the best bike riders in the world. 
and has a lot of experience uh, building tracks. And I think, you know, he, unlike the course builders in Andorra, for example, he was like, right, we're up here at the top. It's super exposed. It's wide open. We're not going to build jumps. Simple as that. So instead of building jumps at the top, he's decided to make it like high speed in the grass, some smaller jumps uh, and lots of like interesting transitions from corner to corner to kind of separate people. And then after that, we kind of dip over some the backside of some bike park berms and just kind of link up these successive gnarly off cambers. So it looks like with the weather at the moment, it being extremely wet the last kind of 10 days, uh, it looks like we're going to be in for a serious treat in terms of the track shape, you know, rutting up and getting bumpy and wild and multiple lines opening up and just some general serious head scratching and puzzling. And now we've got a, since Andorra, we're going to have a new practice schedule on practice day one for the elites. So group B, group A in that order and then B, A for another two hours each go for time training, like an open time session in the afternoon. So I think the riders are pretty happy about this change. So I think with this brand new track, all these steep off cambers, all these catch, kind of semi-natural catch berms that are kind of half cut in, um, whatever other changes he made, I think it's going to be it's going to be a really, really interesting week. In terms of analysis and the riders having to learn the track, especially because a lot of the sections are going to look the same. So visually, you're going to be kind of second-guessing yourself the first three laps, probably. So, you know, using your GoPro, um, discussing with other riders, taking your time to learn the track before you try and ride the track, that sort of thing. And obviously, the riders who were here for the test event probably have just a touch of an advantage on day one, sadly. But here we are. The advantage will be eroded by the time we get to racing. So Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, I don't know how many riders are out there. I saw Charlie Hatton was out there. I think Millie Onset went to the test event. Like, why would riders either have gone or not gone? Like, what do you think would have informed that decision? Because surely it helps um, be familiar with the terrain, the soil type, the way things degrade, the way things change over time. Yeah, I think the, the remoteness of the location, is what they say in French. The bush F of nowhere is that translation. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're looking at here. It's like it is literally the middle of nowhere. It's the end of the, it's like the center, the heart of the Pyrenees, the middle of nowhere. Pretty close to like the, the borderlands um, with Spain. Um, not super, super accessible. So I think that's why a lot of people, and just the, the way it fell kind of, you know, a couple of weeks before World Champs, if you had to fly in and everything else logistically, it was a bit of a nightmare. So that's why people didn't come. And obviously people didn't really know what was going to be on offer for the test event track-wise, whether it was going to be the World Cup track or a variation on it or what was going to happen. But in the end, you know, a lot of riders did show up. Um, you know, a lot of the, the Commensal team showed up, obviously with a lot of French riders. Uh, Bruni was here. Um, like you said, Charlie Hatton and I think Don Platt from Athens was here. I can't remember if Andy Cole was here. I don't think he was. Um, so we, we had a good mix of riders that were here and, and they gave a lot of feedback to the course builders and course designers. And Roman Paulin came down to um, to do some adjustments on the track pretty soon after that test event. So it looks like they've shortened it up, straightened it up in a few spots, got rid of some kind of unnecessary, you know, trail corners. Like there would have been a, a lot of trail sections, you know, what you'd ride on your trail bike in the test event and they're all gone. So I think it's going to be a pretty sick challenge and it's definitely going to be more physical than Andorra. I think Andorra with the altitude, people felt, you know, a little bit out of breath and a little bit under pressure about halfway down. But by, by race runs, when people were fully committed to race runs, you know, the riders were complaining of minimal fatigue in Andorra. Just because it's relatively short and, and not insanely physical in terms of bumps and stuff. Whereas here, I think there's that consistent steepness near the bottom and all the catches and having to maneuver the bike and manage your braking with your upper body and legs uh, on the off cambers. I think it's going to be pretty physical here by the end. 
especially with semis and finals back to back. Yeah, interesting. What so with this being a new track, does that um, does that change riders' processes through the week? You mentioned like GoPros maybe being more important and taking time to get up to speed. Will riders be kind of going into a slightly different version of their process for this? I'm not sure if the process will be any different. It'll just be like the waiting on the process, the percentage time invested into, you know, getting a good GoPro lap so you can review it, comparing lines with GoPros or with with teammates, um, using whoever you have trackside. You know, a lot of the teams have multiple people trackside now or at least one one coach or one person with some sort of a video camera. The, the dad cam crew is large these days. Um, so I think, you know, in, in that regard, the riders might be asking just for simple footage of sections just to see what's happening, just to see where other people are going. Whereas, you know, in a, in a track we know and love, riders might be asking to, for, you know, pretty clear analysis of a section early on. I want you to compare this versus this. Whereas here, you know, it'll just be like, oh, where where do I go here? Send me a video of how to ride this, you know, just to reduce the burden on learning the track. So, And then other than that, I think, yeah, the length and the duration of the track and all going well, we'll have semifinals and finals. So the physicality will need to be managed. Um, so how that all works, we'll see. I think that most of the riders are so well physically prepared now, especially the, the cream of the crop, let's say, that it won't be a huge issue. And I think uh, the only spanner in the works, so to speak, will be if it rains in the evenings or during practice, because the soil around here is pretty slick in the wet, from what I understand. I spoke to Morgan Shar this morning, who's uh, raced enduro here twice. You know, former downhill world champ, probably one of the most kind of technically gifted female bike riders out there and she said that it's yeah depending on what bit of hill you're on it you may or may not be able to actually turn or slow down so <laughs> we'll see <laughs> <laughs> and what what is the forecast i looked yesterday and it looked like we were due um a decent amount of rain on the weekend maybe not so bad on the sunday but have you seen a, an updated forecast yeah the, my, my forecasts are saying the same you know maybe more so evening time rain but definitely some moisture forecast for the weekend however predictability kind of indexed on those are pretty low so the actual the viability of that forecast is not very good at the moment i think the forecasting up to friday is strong and then the weather's going to break again after that so i think they're waiting the forecasting people don't really know what way the weather fronts are going to go from friday onwards so maybe by tomorrow or the next day definitely by wednesday night thursday morning we'll know what saturday sunday is going to do so just like andorra it is what it is you just gotta pack the tear offs and uh Pack the waterproofs. Yeah, but sounds like perhaps that we've got time at least for the track to kind of bed in and rut up before the weather gets too adverse. Maybe. Yeah, totally. I think we're we're in a pretty, you know, awesome situation for a brand new track. The wor- the the worst thing you can get with a brand new track, especially when it's off camber and it cuts across some bike park berms like this, and it's pretty kind of basic at the top in terms of it's not super technical. At, you know, for the first minute or so, the best scenario is to arrive at practice day one with a very wet track or a damp track. So the riders cut in ruts, the riders cut in natural berms and kind of banks and the braking holes get large. And as soon as the braking holes get large on steep sections and off camber sections, that's when alternate lines start to open up just because bikes just don't work as well and it's just not so fast to hit the main line. So I think we're in a perfect situation in terms of we have a soft track to go and get chopped up and then it hopefully will progressively dry. So grip is good and riders can you know start to build the speed to run on run. And then whatever happens after that happens. But if we, if we you know, if we get some natural catches and the course crew do a good job, kind of helping develop, helping the track develop with the riders, you know, clean taking out rocks that are dangerous, you know, cleaning up berms and cleaning up natural banks and ledges that get developed, um, we'll be in for a pretty sick racetrack. I think, you know, I think uh, junior practice is going to be the 
the interesting one because judging by Andorra, the, <laughs> a good percentage of the juniors haven't been able to uh, transfer track walk knowledge to first runs because now we don't have race tape. We don't have tape lining the track as we had previous years. You don't have that natural visual guide on your, in your peripheral vision to pull you left and right. So you actually need kind of need to know where you're going. Um, so, you know, paying attention during track walk um, is necessary and a lot of the juniors don't seem to be capable of that yet. So <laughs> there was a lot of course blowouts <laughs> in Andorra and I think a course blowout here in Ludonville will literally result in uh, you careening down the side of a very steep hill. So, yeah. Okay, watch yeah, watch out for Junior Vital Raw hitting the internets pretty soon. Um, we talked a little bit about like physical fatigue, but does a new race venue potentially add to the kind of the mental load that riders go through? I mean, it's a new track to learn, but also there's different logistics, a, a new pit location, and and maybe that's kind of more um, apparent for smaller teams. Maybe you don't have heaps of staff to help take those pressures off the riders to allow the riders to focus purely on just riding bikes like some some of the riders are dealing with you know checking into accommodation and sorting food out and all this kind of stuff does is there potentially additional load there for it being a new venue i think worse looks you know on on the surface so far i've had a bit of a, a mooch about to, to see what the, the venue looks like but like i said at the start the the gondola is right there beside the finish line in the dh track uh, it's a brand new gondola built in 2019, so it's really quick. There's accommodation at the top of the gondola in like the ski resort up there. Uh, accommodation here in, in Ludenville town is kind of like spread out along the main road, which is just beside the finish line. The pits are just behind that. So in reality, it's super easy. It's kind of like a Leo gang without the dangerous main road. So it's like, you know, so easy to get yourself around. There's a supermarket that's very well stocked here in the town centre. Uh, also extremely well priced in the negative sense <laughs> about 50% more than what you'd expect but that's you know a small mountain town um, so I think you know whether you're a privateer or not uh, whether you're on a full factory team I think actually the whole venue the whole layout is kind of what we need for World Cups you know it's that kind of just compact simple small I think the only issue here is that if you haven't been able to book the accommodation right in the town centre then you're probably a little bit further away from the venue up the hills or you know down the valley um, so yeah, I think by and large, comparing to last week when we had like a 20 minute commute or more, you know, or in, in you know my case, like riding down the hill from the accommodation, get the gondola up to the top of the old pits in Andorra, riding down the hill, riding up the hill to the new pits, getting undressed, redressed in the pits, then getting the chairlift to the top of the track. It was like a 45 minute kind of ordeal to just get on track in the morning, whereas here I can probably roll out of the bed with half a sock on and just be on the track at the bottom, you know? Or like if, you know, this sort of thing, if you're a rider in group A and you want to watch a bit of practice, you can just roll over to the finish line and have a little sniff. Um, if I want to analyze a section near the bottom of the hill, I don't have to get the gondola up. I'm right beside it here, so I can just run up the bottom of the hill type thing. So I think, you know, give or take a few details, it's like, you know, your your ideal kind of World Cup venue. Good to hear. And we, some of the top riders uh, this weekend just gone, didn't really get the chance to show what they had um do you think we're going to see some either potential frustration or some super special runs from some of these top riders that that are kind of maybe a bit pent up after uh last weekend's disappointment yeah i think um you're probably secretly just talking about loic bruni really uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was frustrated he was the man to beat in andorra like he, i think anyone who was standing trackside could see just how how well him and the bike were working and how well he was riding 
Um, and he, he was definitely on for a, a 243 or that sort of region in, in Andorra time-wise. So, you know, three, two to three seconds up on Thibaut's time at least would have been my guess, like I said. So he, he'll definitely be out for redemption. And as soon as that man gets a race in France, he just like... A race in France is almost a world champs for him, you know. He, he lifts his level for world champs and he lifts his level for racing in France. And I think, you know, Loris is the same, who qualified second. Benoit Coulange in fifth, who, who hit a tree pretty hard. Jackson Goldstone, who's lost his leader's jersey now to Finn um, because of his puncture and he probably would have lost it anyway, but he's lost it by a chunk now. So Finn, Finn wasn't having the best week in Andorra. He wasn't riding his best. He's only ridden his downhill bike once between, um, you know, the end of Val and and now, basically and Andorra um, he got sick at world champs was pretty ill after world champs for a week he said so he's got he's kind of fallen on the good side of the look and he's got himself the leader's jersey with a commanding lead so I think yeah there'll be a guy like Finn who's looking who'll be looking to do a good run to solidify his position as, as a top dog and there'll be guys like Bruni and Loris Coulange Goldstone everyone else who are going to be just chomping at the bit to uh, to get a victory you know get on the podium at a minimum and, and just rack up some points and all of those guys want to win you know um, there's been you know Bruni hasn't hasn't won a World Cup this year um, neither has Coulange has never won a World Cup in his career it's been a while since Lars has won one since the end of last year uh, Goldstone kind of feels like he should be winning them all probably so it's uh, yeah just in terms of the men's category there's there's some good storylines developing for sure and I think all we really need is consistent track because like I said, like Morgan said, if, if it's wet here, the dirt becomes pretty slick. So if we get, you know, intermittent showers and that sort of thing, you know, it took a few, it took a good few minutes in Andorra for the track to get really, really slippy. And it got so glassy in spots because it was quite hard packed that it became unrideable. Really. And, and Bruni was the only guy in Andorra who got into the top 25 of the last, the last eight riders. Everyone else was back in the 40s or 50s. So, you know, Bruni's run in Andorra was amazing. And that sort of kind of deficit if it, if it you know rains during finals here I think that's we'll be looking at something similar here in terms of a top 10 qualifier will be back in the, the 30s or whatever you know in finals so fingers crossed for good weather but definitely people will be out for blood that's a fact and the women's category is like we've lost Cam, Cam, Camille Ballanche unfortunately in the women's category um, but the rest of the ladies will definitely be looking Valley will be looking for redemption Tani can kind of Tani's feeling like you know much closer to a win now and she was you know faster than valley and the majority of the track except one sector in andorra so there's there's some good ba battles developing and nina had a good advantage in andorra and she'd be looking to keep that here in, in lutonville so it's it's exciting racing yeah have we got any update on cammy have you heard anything this week um it was fair assumption she's not going to be racing this week but um do we know um, she's getting on well def she won't be she won't be racing for a while yeah unfortunately um Nothing broken, um, from what I understand. I'm not really in a suppose, I'm not really in a position to, you know. Obviously, everyone will speak amongst themselves, friends and and colleagues and stuff. So I'm not really in a position to to give out any any information that Cami herself or her team haven't given out. Uh, but she's she's in a lot of pain, from what I understand, and definitely took a big impact to the head. So that'll just take some time to to come good. And I think the pain levels were extremely high. She was doing a lot of resting and sleeping, and anytime she wasn't asleep, she was in a lot of pain. So. She's not broken any bones from what we understand, but she took a huge impact. So just going to take some time. I think if anyone, if anyone's had a huge crash where they just get really badly beaten up, they'll know themselves how the first kind of week to 10 days goes where you're just kind of rolling around the, rolling around the couch in the bed, not really able for much, you know? Yeah. Fingers crossed for uh full recovery for Cammy as quickly as possible. But yeah, like you say, not a surprise that we won't see her racing. 
But yeah, another exciting week uh, ahead of us. Looking forward to seeing how this new track pans out and how it evolves throughout the week. It sounds like it's going to be pretty exciting for us fans to to watch the racing and see what the track has to offer. But yeah, thanks for bringing some insight. Um, hope you have a good week trackside and uh, we'll be catching up again pretty soon because we're straight straight from Ludenvay into Lege, which is uh, your local, right? Yeah, lo- my my well, almost my local. I live in Morzine, so the Morzinois and the Gétois, the people from Lege, sometimes they don't see eye to eye. It's you know, it's a good uh, it's a good local rivalry. So you, you can't be can't be saying I'm from Lege, um, <laughs> but it's definitely a yeah, home from home kind of race. And similar actually for for the Seagraves FMD Racing, they live down in Saint Jean d'Eau, the next kind of village further down, and then you know all the French racers uh, like well, obviously like Bruni last year for World Champs, but Bruni Loris. Uh, Coulange Vidal who got his first podium in Andorra like there's there's a, a crop of at least 10 racers from France if not more that can battle it out for the podium so I think Leger once backing up on a French race here in Ludonville like the the crowds the atmosphere the the passion for racing we may not see 60,000 plus like we did in Leger last year because it's September and a lot of people are back in school and work and that sort of thing but I think between these two races in France back to back I think there'll be a lot of people doing the pilgrimage you know, coming here for the weekend and then trucking on to Leger for a bit of bike park riding because Morzine Leger is open for a week before the World Cup. So these next two weeks, if you're a fan, I think just uh, social media, live TV on on um, Eurosport or GCN or wherever you get your live TV, uh, YouTube channels, podcasts like yourself, just anyone and everyone, just tune in, log in, log out, do whatever you need to do because I think it's going to be a pretty insane two weeks of racing. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I'll uh, And I'll catch you next week out in Leger. So yeah, thanks for, your, thanks for your time. Yep, see you soon. All right, that's it for this Maxis Tires pre-race show with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it and that you're excited to watch the racing unfold this week in Lunavier. Don't forget, it's a Sunday race this time around. A massive thanks to Maxis for supporting this season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode, forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch, and forward slash EP if you'd like copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today, but until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 